Amen. Can you thank them for leading us in worship this morning? I don't know about you, but that was a much needed time of just focusing our hearts on the Lord and exalting Jesus together. I love hearing your voices in the room and uh, centering our attention on Christ who is magnified over all things. And uh, hopefully on a week of Thanksgiving, I trust that you had a great Thanksgiving, whether you were with family or friends or even alone, hopefully you found uh, a reason to give thanks to a good and gracious God whose steadfast love endures forever. But I know that if you're in the world for a couple days, uh, then no doubt the things of this world are tugging at your heart and tugging at your attention. And so it's important to gather together on Sunday morning and center our attention on Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8 this morning, and we're going to continue in this narrative of Noah and the flood. And today we'll see Noah and the new creation as God delivers Noah and his family safely to dry land through the flood. As we stated last week, the flood was really a decreation, giving us the first real picture of God's wrath that comes against sinful mankind. And uh, as the flood waters rose, only the obedient who were shut in the ark were saved. For the rest of the world who did, not, who did what was right in their own eyes, they were shut out from the ark and they were wiped away in the wrath of God. Those who did not enter through the one door of the ark, for them it was too late. And while it was a devastating historical moment, it should serve as a warning to us today to obediently enter through the one door who is Jesus Christ because the wrath of God is coming against all ungodliness. And you know, the world would hear this story and those who are not in Christ might scoff at a story like this and say, how could you follow a God who would do such a thing? How could God be a loving God if he was wiping out the entire planet? And yet all along the way, we saw it last week and I want you to see it this week, that our God is a patient God and he is a loving God and he is a rescuing God. And he is a life-preserving God. And he's a just God. And this morning as we look to Genesis chapter 8, I believe we see more of the character of God in this passage. In a week where we celebrated Thanksgiving, I want this text to challenge us to be thankful for an omniscient God who sees all things and knows all things and delivers his people in his grace. I believe we see the faithfulness of God, the guidance of God, the deliverance of God, and the blessing of God in this passage as Noah and his family arrive safely to dry land. So the big idea that I want to stoke your heart this morning is this, give thanks to God who never leaves or forsakes his people. Give thanks to God who never leaves or forsakes his people. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 8. And let's just allow his word to speak to us, and then we'll pray, and we will dive in together. Now hear the word of the Lord. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated, 
And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Verse 6. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the windows of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him, and he waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah and his sons' wives with him, every beast Every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Let's pray together. Father, we approach your word carefully this morning. We approach your word with reverence this morning. We approach your word asking your spirit to do what only your spirit can do, and that is illuminate to us the truth that is preserved on these pages that never return void. And Lord, even in a story that may be familiar to many of us, Spirit, would you guide our thoughts and our hearts and our attention to something fresh and new today? God, would you show us your intimate and intricate power by impressing on our hearts and souls and minds the way that you love us, the way that you deliver us, the way that you guide us, the way that you help us in the midst of the waiting. Lord, I thank you that our worship is a way that we wait for you. I thank you for the time that we've had this morning where we've exalted you who do great things and where we've said that Jesus Christ should be magnified over all as we present our entire bodies as a sacrifice to you. I thank you that the third song gave us a reminder of gratitude that showed us we should continually throw up our hands again and again and say thank you for all that you have done. Like Psalm 103 says... Bless the Lord, O my soul. Sometimes we have to preach to our souls that we might come alive and exalt you and worship you and then thank you that we can set our attentions on heaven from where all of life centers, from where all of life flows. And 
Lord, we know that the saints and the angels gather around your throne room right now and they are proclaiming holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Father, even as we approach your word this morning, we want it to be in a spirit, in a heart of worship. So would you have all of our hearts, would you have all of our attention, and would you be glorified and magnified as we hear from you. Meet us and speak to us this day. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. (laughs) Amen. Now I want to look at three points from Genesis chapter 8. And God's used this chapter this week personally in my own life, devotionally in my life. And uh, it's just been just massively encouraging to me. I've been praying that it would be massively encouraging to you. So three simple points that we'll pull from the text. The first is this, God remembers those shut in by him. God remembers those shut in by him. And as we concluded chapter seven last week, I really couldn't quit thinking as I went into this week about uh, Genesis chapter seven, verse 16, where it says, and the Lord shut him in pertaining to Noah and his family in the ark. I thought it is just such a beautiful picture of God's grip and eternal protection on those who call upon the name of the Lord, those whom he saves. And it, of course, parallels the believer who is in Christ. And if you were with us when we went through the book of Ephesians, some of you were, some of you weren't. But over and over again, I said, the most important position you could ever find yourself in, this side of eternity, is in Christ. Because you are either dead in this world, dead in your trespasses and sins, or you are alive in Christ. So just as Noah and his family were saved in the ark, you can be saved in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, it said it beautifully. It says, in him, in, in Christ... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And uh, a friend of mine sent me a scripture as she was reflecting on the idea of being shut in the ark this week. In 2 Thessalonians 1.9 in the NIV version, it says this, they, talking about the wicked, will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So we said last week that we need to enter through the one door who is Jesus Christ and be shut in by a good and gracious God. And after Noah and his family were shut in by God, we saw the devastation of God's wrath on all who were shut out by God. And chapter 7 ended telling us that the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. That's five months. Understand that. Five months of downpour Five months of the earth being flooded with the wrath of God. Five months of claustrophobia. Five months of motion sickness on a boat as it tosses to and fro on the waters. Five months of animal sounds and animal smells. Five months of doubts and restlessness and waiting. This was no Disney cruise by any stretch of the imagination. And so it paints the devastating picture for us of Noah and his family on this massive boat filled with animals. And then we get to chapter 8 and we have the most incredible four words. It says, but God remembered Noah. But God. Now, there are some big buts in the Bible. 
This is no doubt one of them, probably the first of them. Uh, 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 Martin Lloyd-Jones joked, thank God for the butts of the Bible. <laughs> and we, we, we chuckle at that a little bit, but it's true. In this small conjunction, we see God's ability to do the impossible, to turn devastating realities into highways to glory, to bring beauty out of ashes, and to provide the way when there seems to be no way. It's in this small phrase, but God, that's at the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ that proclaims, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but God. I fall short of the glory of God, but God. In sin did my mother conceive me, but God. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but God. And so don't ever forget to preach, but God, over your fears and over your trials and over your loss and over your pain. See, when life feels hopeless, the people of God can say, but God. When circumstances seem out of our control, the believer proclaims, but God. When life is bleak or seems dark, we, God's people, say, but God. And it's a constant reminder to us of who is on the throne, who has shut us in, and who is carrying us forward in this life. Now, verse 1, it goes on, but God remembered Noah. There's two ways to, to think about this statement. We can look at it from God's perspective, and then we can look at it from our perspective. God remembered Noah, but God never forgot Noah because God never forgets. Therefore, he doesn't need to remember the way that we often need to remember. God knows, and God is omniscient, and he's Elohim. He is all Knowing. So to say that God remembered Noah is to say that God purposed to act and then God acted. We have to understand this morning that as we look at the sovereign God of the universe, he is never learning. He is never catching up or regaining traction. Scripture often says that his foot never slips. His mind never grows foggy. God purposed to save Noah before the foundation of the world and then God acts in his gracious saving power at the proper time. Now, if we look at God remembered Noah from our perspective, we can give thanks that God didn't forget Noah and his family in the ark. We can give thanks that God will remember all who are in him. And this is at the core of the Great Commission when Jesus proclaimed, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Even as we step into the Christmas season, right? A popular name of God is Emmanuel. It means God with us. It's a proclamation that God remembers you if you are in Christ. And yet often it's us who forget, isn't it? God never forgets, but often we do. And I think Moses is testifying to this as he writes Genesis. He paints the grim and devastating picture of God's wrath. Then he shows that God was with his people. And as Moses is reading this to the people of Israel in the wilderness, right? After they've been released from Egypt, after 450 years, this truth would have rung loudly in their ears because they would have said, wow, just as God didn't forget Noah, in the middle of that devastating flood, God has not forgotten us. Even after all these years of slavery, he has brought us through the Red Sea. He has parted the waters and he has brought us to freedom. 
And yet even the people of Israel continue to forget, continue to complain, because so much of the Old Testament is a story of God remembering his people and his people forgetting about their God. So it's a reminder of us today, don't forget that God remembers you if you are in Christ. We can take heart that God remembers those shut in by him. So that's just the first four words. Let's keep going, okay? (laughs) Uh, Verses one through five, let me read more. And all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, God remembered them as well. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were closed and the rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to a rest on mountains of Ararat and the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Now, I want you to notice the language used in describing the end of this flood. The, the remembering of God is seen in the preserving power of God, okay? So verse one says that God made a wind blow over the earth. Not, not a wind blew over the earth. God made a wind blow over the earth. This is the work of Elohim. It, it, it points forward to a day when Jesus would walk on the Sea of Galilee and, and when he was in a boat with his disciples and he calms the wind and the waves. And what do his disciples say? They say, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? See, God created everything out of nothing in six days. So sending a worldwide flood and stopping it with a simple command to the wind, no problem for God. Remember Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can get that, you can get everything else in the Bible. That's how powerful God is. And notice what happened. The waters subsided. God made a wind blow over them, and the waters stopped. God commands, and it happens. What he wills comes to pass. And then you get to verse 2 of chapter 8. It says, the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. I love this imagery because, again, it, it continues to show the power of Elohim. Stopping a worldwide catastrophic flood is as simple as shutting the window and turning off the spigot for our God. He is in full control, and he has complete and eternal power. Verse two through four, the rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. And at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated in the seventh month. And on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. So God's restraining power stops the rainfall and the waters begin to recede back to where God wanted them to go. Psalm 33, 7 proclaims this. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the depths in storehouses. I love that imagery about our God. The the ocean, the waters, an impossible amount of water. And yet for God, it's like gathering up a a bedsheet off your floor and just putting it in the hamper. God picks things up and drops them exactly where he desires. And then finally, the ark hits the peak of Mount Ararat, which was high. I mean, this ark is landing on land that is the only land sticking out of the water. Today, it's in East Turkey. It's 17,000 feet in elevation. It's a dormant volcano. It's significantly higher than any other mountain around it. Verse 5 tells us that. Look at it. 
and the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So while the flood stopped, while the raining stopped around five months, it wasn't until the 10th month that Noah even saw the tops of other mountains. So it tells you how high he was when he hits Mount Ararat and then how long he waits until he sees the other mountains. It reminded me of when I was in Colorado Springs about a year and a half ago and I got into my hotel and I looked out the windows and I thought, wow, the mountains are amazing. Those are massive mountains. And I thought that is a cool setting and I went to bed and the next morning the clouds had gone away and Pike's Peak was raining over all the mountains that I was in awe of. And I thought, dang, there's another mountain up there. <laughs> That's kind of what uh, Noah had landed on. Noah had landed on this mountain that was towering over the rest of the mountains. And he waited all this time to even see the peaks of the mountains that were below him. So God's power was on display. God remembered those shut in by him. God stopped the flood, but that doesn't mean Noah and his family didn't have to wait. And so it leads to point number two, and it's this. God is leading those who wait on him. God is leading those who wait on him. He remembers those shut in by him, praise God. But he's also leading those who wait on him. Just let me skip through verses 6 through 14. He's given us a lot of historical dates and timeline throughout this year that Noah was waiting. Verse 6, at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark. Can you imagine finally opening the window? Verse 8, he sends forth a dove, but the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him. Verse 10, he waited another seven days. And again, he sent forth a dove, and the dove came back to him in the evening. This time it brought back an olive branch. Verse 12, then he waited another seven days and he sent forth the dove and she did not return to him anymore. Now in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the, off the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Now, there's certainly some symbolic things happening in this section as Noah is awaiting to get on dry land, but I have been massively challenged by Noah's patient waiting. The text, it just stacks on months and days like they're nothing, but can you imagine how stir-crazy you would be if you were locked up in that ark? I had a friend text me yesterday and say, bro, are you going crazy being in your house for three days with your kids after these holidays? <laughs> jokingly. And, 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 but can you imagine uh, how agitated you might be to get off that boat? Or can you imagine finally opening the window after 11 months? Or can you imagine looking out the window day after day after day to see how much the water level had dropped? It would all be a bit maddening. And yet Noah had no choice than to wait on the Lord. So Noah opened the window and he sends forth a raven. Now, Moses doesn't give us the reason for the raven's release, probably similar to the dove. It was to see if it'd find land, if it'd find home. Throughout scripture, a raven is depicted 
as an unclean bird. So in Leviticus 11 and 15, we see that the raven is unfit for food. It was not a proper animal sacrifice. So in a way, perhaps the raven was the most expendable thing. Maybe Noah was growing impatient. He's like, I'm going to just set this raven free and see what it gets me. Uh, Maybe it was the most logical to release. It was a strong bird. It's able to fly. It's a scavenger. And so it could have found food that was floating on the waters. But because of its reputation in Scripture, some have said that its release represented that the impurities of the past had been removed and the creation of the new world now had a fresh start. Certainly that was happening in God's divine plan. The old was gone and the new was coming as Noah and his family were delivered to dry land. But regardless, Noah was waiting and Noah was waiting on birds of all things. (laughs) And then verse 8, then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him, to the ark, to the waters, were still on the face of the whole earth. He waited another seven days. Now, a dove in Scripture has a much more positive reputation. The dove was part of the sacrificial legislation for rites of purification. It was an acceptable burnt offering or sin offering among the poor. We learned that in Leviticus 1, 5, and 7. Uh, The term dove was actually an endearing term in the Song of Solomon. So husbands, you can go home and call your wives a lovely dove this afternoon. It was a symbol of peace in Psalm 55 and Jeremiah 48. The dove was numbered among the ritual offerings of the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15.9. But most obviously at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descended as a dove. Just think about it. Uh, In Genesis 1 verse 2. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. And now, after the flood, a dove is hovering over the waters looking for new life. And as Jesus steps into the waters of baptism, Jesus being the source of life for all who would come to him, a dove descends, showing us that the Father is pleased and that new life would come through this man. And a Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to hover over your life and draw you to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, even this morning. So Noah sends out this symbol of hope and life on behalf of all the inhabitants imprisoned in the ark, but it just shows the touch of God on his plan for salvation. As the dove left and returned to Noah, who would begin new life on the earth, so the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus, who was God's greater Noah, that would bring eternal life to all who would believe in him. And the first attempt, the dove returns with nothing. So Noah waits another seven days because he was obedient to the Lord and he had to wait to see if the waters would subside. The second attempt, the dove returns with an olive branch showing Noah that there is vegetation that has sprouted and peaked above the waters. And then seven days later, the dove was released and the dove never returns, which tells Noah that the dove had found a place to live and therefore he and his family could find a place to live as well. Noah's faith is not only seen in building the ark and taking his family onto the ark, but in the patient waiting for the Lord to lead him beyond the ark. He waited, which means he did not give up. Then he waited, which means he didn't devise his 
own plan or take matters into his own hands. Noah waited on the Lord because Noah believed the Lord was leading since the day he told him he would destroy the earth and since the day he told him to get onto the ark with his family. And I've been moved by this this week because I know how hard it is to wait on the Lord sometimes, don't you? You've experienced that? I see a picture of our lives as believers in these days of waiting for Noah. He was already delivered, but he had not yet arrived. He was already saved, but he was waiting to inherit the land of blessing. And all of us can relate to this, living in the already, but not yet. We wait on him for an eternal, from an eternal point of view, knowing that this world is not our home. We are a city longing for a better city. But then from a temporal point of view, many of us are going through hardships. Many of us are going through trials. Many of us are going through pain and sickness. And like Noah sent out a dove only to wait seven more days, often you send out prayers only to wait longer for the Lord to deliver you from pain or from sickness or from a diagnosis or from grief or from relational pain or from loss. And what I was so moved by this week is that Noah can be a testimony to us today that the Lord is leading those who wait on him, but it takes a lot of faith and it takes a lot of patience. I was reflecting on the the season of Advent as we step into December this weekend, the last few days, I was reading about G.K. Chesterton, who was a writer in the, the London newspaper, the London Times in the early 1900s. And he was kind of ridiculing uh, Christians who were doing all of the celebrating at the beginning of December and then closing up the Christmas season on December 25th. Sort of sounds familiar to us, right? Because like as soon as the turkey goes in the fridge, the Christmas music comes out, right? And how many of you went and got your tree this weekend? You got, anybody? You with me, y'all? 11 o'clock? You're here. You're just waiting, right? Uh, uh, the, the, we got our trees and the Christmas season has started. And sometimes on December 25th, we just kind of hang up the Christmas season. But then, back then, it was like, no, that was the Advent season for the believer. And we waited. But as secularism crept in, we started focusing on the secular holiday of Christmas and forgetting that the real reason for the season is awaiting a Savior who is to come. It's waiting and remembering that Jesus came out of silence at the perfect time. And so Chesterton was challenging his audience to not put the journey or or not miss the journey before the celebration. He, He wrote this, it would behoove us to remember that as the journey precedes the destination, the season of Advent precedes Christmas. Advent, as observed by Christians for millennia, is a time of expectant waiting an observance of a time when Israel's prophets were as silent as their God and their people yearned for a promised deliverer. Advent is a desire in the now for the not yet. Can you just imagine Noah? He had a desire for the now in the not yet. I desire to get off this boat, but God hadn't said it's time. At Christmas time, we remember that many were longing for the now, for a savior who would come and restore power to Israel, but it wasn't yet time. And at the proper time, God sent forth his son into the world. Many of you are walking through hardships, even now, longing for the now, but it's the not yet because God hasn't delivered. God hasn't spoken. God hasn't cleared you. God hasn't led you on 
to victory. And I've just been thinking about that a lot in my own life. I want to be good at waiting, and sometimes I am not good at waiting. Sometimes I'm impatient, and I need the Lord to make me patient. A place that I often go is Psalm 37. And if Noah would have had this particular psalm in the boat, no doubt he would have been reading it and memorizing it and singing it with his family. But David writes this, just listen, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. That's not a fast thing. That's waiting. Verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Doesn't mean he'll give you everything that's in there. He'll form the desires of your heart as you wait on him. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the new day. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. And verse 23 of Psalm 37 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. As Noah was in this boat, he was waiting on the Lord. He was trusting in the Lord who would act. He was trying to delight in the Lord who would shape the desires of his heart. He, he had confidence that God would deliver him, if not on planet earth, in eternity. And it stoked his patient waiting on God. I, I told you I've been impacted by it. I was in the Costco parking lot um, recently. And I think that the Costco parking lot's maybe where God's wrath is all stored up and it's just concentrated right there. But I was uh, going to a stop sign and I was thinking about the things going on in my life and the happenings in my life. And, and just, you know, sometimes life in the hustle and bustle of all things, it gets you kind of frantic. And uh, I was thinking about my own strivings and how I need to wait on the Lord. And I think over the last week, God has helped me regain a little bit of what it means to wait on him, to be patient. But I was in the parking lot and I started singing this little prayer, kind of a fresh expression of my heart for something that I need. And then I went home that night late and I was just reflecting. And this little psalm or this little prayer came out. Let me sing it for you. And Lord, make me patient. And Lord, help me wait. Cause I'm growing anxious, trying to strive in my strength. But I know you know all that I cannot know. And Lord, make me patient. And Lord, help me see that you are working even in the mundane. Help me rest in you and make your mercies new and help me to wait on you to dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness help me wait on you the desires of my heart You've known from the start, help me wait. And Lord, make me patient. And thanks for letting me share it, but you know, I, it, it got me thinking about you. I've been praying for you as I've been praying for my own patience in the Lord. And I read the prayer requests 
and I read what's going on in your life and I recognize that so many of you are walking through trials and so many of you are walking through hard circumstances and much of the test of this life is trusting the Lord through the rough waters, trusting the Lord that he will deliver you to the other side of what you are walking through. Trusting the Lord that eternity is to come and that is where we fix our hope. And so my encouragement to you today, no matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself, I pray that you would trust in the Lord who is mighty to save, believe on him, and he will act. And he wants to deliver you not only from the things in this world, doesn't mean that you will receive the diagnosis or the healing that you desire, but it means that your heart can be satisfied in Jesus Christ. And you can know that there is so much beyond this life because God not only has created a new thing in you, he is recreating the world. One person that he adds to his church at a time. That leads to point three, and it's this. God is recreating through those who obey him. God is recreating through those who obey him. Look at verse 15 through 19. Then God said to Noah, can you imagine? Because out of the silence when God speaks, everything, all of the waiting disappears. And you just hang on to every word that God says. You know that he is leading you forward. And so the waiting was worth it. And God said, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. God remembered his people. God led them safely through the flood waters. And God began a new creation as they obediently inhabited the earth. And there's just some really awesome parallels happening between this recreation and the first creation. And on day one, in Genesis 1 verse 3, God said, let there be light. And in Genesis chapter 8, we saw that the flood waters subsided and the waters began to roll back and the sun comes out, right? Light was now hitting the world again. Day two, Genesis 1, 6 through 10, God separated the waters from the sky. God decreated with his wrath, but in Genesis 8, 2, the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. God separated the waters from the sky. Once again, Genesis 1, 11, on day three of creation, dry land appears and vegetation sprouts forth. In Genesis 8, 5, and 11, the mountains are finally seen as dry land sprouts from the flood-ridden world. And the dove brings back an olive branch, showing that there is once again vegetation. We also see that God filled the earth with animals in Genesis 1 on day 5 and 6. And in Genesis 8, 17, the birds and the animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth steps off of the ark to swarm the planet once again. And Genesis 1 said they would be fruitful and multiply. And Genesis chapter 8 is God recreates the world with 
those whom he's preserved. He says that they will be fruitful and multiply. And just as man was put on the land to have dominion over it in the garden, Noah and his family inhabit God's recreation and do the same. Moses paints for us the truth that God is in the business of making all things new. He is a gracious God and he is a specific God and he is a wonder working God and he is recreating through all of those who will obey him just as Noah and his family and he wants to make a new creation out of you today. The Bible says that all who are in Christ, when you surrender your life to follow Jesus as Lord, the old is gone and the new has come. You are a new creation. And just as he echoed his original creation after the flood, we who are in Christ are awaiting a new creation that is to come. The new heavens, the new earth, a perfect garden once again for all who have been shut in by God. God is a faithful deliverer. He remembers his people. He is leading those who wait on him. And we can give thanks today that he will never leave us or forsake us. Here's how I want to close. I want you to turn in your Bible with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And as you're turning there, all these years later, Peter points back to this worldwide historic flood and uses it to point us to the waiting of the new heavens and the new earth. So we've talked about waiting today. Second Peter challenges us greatly as the people of God to wait on the Lord who is restoring and recreating. In Second Peter 3, Peter warns of scoffers that will come in the last days scoffing with their own sinful desires. Look at verse four of Second Peter 3. It says, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Genesis 1, verse 6. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Sound familiar? because Peter's hearkening back to the worldwide flood, verse seven, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If you ever think that God is slow or that you have trouble being patient, God doesn't have trouble being patient. One day is as of a thousand years with our God and he is so gracious and he is so loving that he would desire that all men would repent and believe. Today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of belief. But he is coming again. And it's written in his mind. No man knows the time or the hour. Look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You think the flood was devastating? Just as devastating will be the wrath of God poured out in fire on all who are not shut in to Christ. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now catch this, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Just as Noah was awaiting dry land, you who have been saved should be waiting for our blessed hope, waiting for a savior who will come waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. And while the world is destroyed out of his justness, you who are in Christ will be saved out of his gracious, compassionate mercy. So wait on the Lord today. Let's pray together. Father, I do pray that you would make me patient I do pray, Lord, that you would help us as finite humans to not strive in our own strength. But Lord, I thank you that the gospel proclaims that Jesus did all that for us. I thank you that Jesus showed us that though this life is hard and Though trials and tribulations come, we can take heart as the people of God that he has overcome the world. That we can share in his sufferings. And that we can know that the peace that surpasses understanding guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So Lord, I pray for my friends in this church. I pray for all those who struggle to wait who are impatient at times with the cards that they've been dealt. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you as good and as gracious, as mighty and as savior, as loving and as gentle, as compassionate and as holy. And Lord, I pray that we would give thanks to you for everything, in everything, in all circumstances because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Come on, stand and sing.